Welcome, Leonard. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on to Thanks. this interview. Thanks for having me on. So today, Leonard, I hope what we can do is spend a little bit of time uh, to talk about your journey as an athlete. I think uh, youth athletes would be very uh, curious and I think they will learn a lot from your experience as a sailor in the national system. So maybe if we can just start by having you think back in time a little bit now. Um, when did you start your sport? How did you get started? God, those are good memories, eh? <laughs> um, so I started sailing at the age of about uh, 10, 11, because uh, my parents was like, allowing me to try something new, which back then we were supposed to choose uh, CCA. Yeah, so there's like badminton and the typical swimming and stuff, which is interesting, it's fun, but we thought, hey, it's selling something new that I've never heard before. So we embarked on this journey, give it a try, and yeah, it's been a fruitful one, but not easy at times, because firstly, it's, it's not a big sport back then, when we first started off. And secondly, it's that... Um, so when you were 11, so what year 11. was that? Do you recall? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's probably 2004 or 5. Okay. Right. Yeah. Give me all my age. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> You're still, still young. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, so I yeah, so started off on sailing, after which uh, they gave us the opportunity to do a conversion to windsurfing, okay. which is quite similar. Basically, it's sailing has a boat, uh, windsurfing has a board that you sail on the water. So when did you convert mm. to... Uh, at the age of 13. 13, okay. Mm. So you did two years in uh, um, uh, the class now escapes me. Um, uh, sailing in Optimist. Optimist, yeah. right, yes. And then switch over to windsurfing thereafter. Okay. So at 13 you did uh, windsurfing. Mm. And how did you come to choose that sport? Was it recommended to you or you just woke up one day and said, that, can I try that? Yeah, I think it's uh, when an optimist is like a small boat and you see all these fast guys on the surfboard zooming past. So I think the the adrenaline rush and just see them having fun, you just want to go and join them and have fun. So I think that leads me to the conversion of going over. Yeah. So um, tell me more about the windsurfing experience when you got into it. How did it play out for you initially when you started? Yeah, so initially when I first started, it was uh, it's just about learning a sport, trying to balance on the board and going around. Um, so there wasn't so much of thought about, hey, let's go and compete and go and do well and, and, and win medals. It's more of like, just enjoy what you're doing. So I think that is quite a fun element because the group that I was learning it with was mixed age. Uh, some people are maybe four years younger than me. Some of the guys are like three or four years older than me. I am. So I think it's a good mix of age where we finish our session and then we go on to just have a little fun. The parents will be like sitting around barbecuing by the beach. Okay, so this is not training with people in the same school cohort. It was just a bunch of people learning yeah. sport. And older, younger. Mm, just coming together to learn. So what made you get on the board week in, week out? What was it about the sport that was so special to you? Do you recall? I think it's the joy of just being by the beach itself and just surfing out there, which I think when you're young, weekends are like our free time because you don't have to go to school. <laughs> so that keeps me busy and that 
insights from their consultants. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, did that bring you to the attention of the, the school? Did you sail for? Did you windsurf for school, mm -hmm. or how, how did that evolve into the into the national youth scene? Yeah. So. Um, Fortunately and unfortunately, I think um, the schools doesn't have a uh, like uh, windsurfing as a CCA and there isn't so many schools that offer it. So naturally what happens is once we start to learn the sports and then we start to compete in a few events, that's where I think you get hooked by the fact that you see yourself improving and getting better in each competition. Yeah. And also there are multiple squads within the sailing center for windsurfing. There's your basic one and then there's the intermediate and stuff. So you see all these guys that are up there in front of you and you slowly follow them. So did that mean you had to, to do a different CCA for school or were you still sailing in the Optimist class? For um, so for school I did something different. We do um, AB, so it, like... AB club? Yeah, AB okay. Club. Yeah. So, so you had to juggle that as mm. well as windsurfing on the weekend. Mm -hmm. okay. What were the, some of the highlights for windsurfing in, in your secondary school years? What stands out in mm -hmm. your memory now when you look back? I did probably three, three events. One that's uh, the first one was to thrown into the Sea Games at the age of 15. Yeah, okay. so that was quite shocking. Um, second one was just before all levels. I think it was given a chance to go for the youth worlds. Okay, wait, wait, see games first. So that was the first time someone came to you and said, that we want to send you to the sea games. Tell us, how, how did it happen? Mm, okay, so I think... It doesn't happen to everybody every day. Yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll slowly guide you through from age of 13, 14, and 15 to reach there. So at least you have to understand like, from just learning around yeah, some fun that's right. to actually going out there to compete. So first started off just learning the sport, enjoying it. Uh, then after you slowly start to go and compete and try to learn more and see yourself grow. So then after that, um, slowly we managed to pull together into one big group of us um, trying to compete and, and just getting better. So okay. I think when I first started out the sport, the thought was that he enjoy it, but I think would it be fun to actually travel overseas and just compete for the fun of it um, in the next one year? Yeah. So. And this is a, a group brought together by Singapore Sailing Federation or um, like a youth squad? Yeah, I think it was a, a bunch of us is training together. So I think uh, the Federation has to be us together. Okay. So that was, I think that was the provision of being us together. So that happened when you were what, 14? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was around so you were uh, late 13. Late So end of SEC 1, yeah. SEC 2 you started in a sort of a, a national setup, a youth setup. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So that means you went overseas for the first time, uh, SEC 2. Yeah. So I got a chance to go overseas and compete for the first time. And I think the fun of just going overseas and the best part was uh, I think we didn't have a coach for that trip. Okay. So you get to do a lot of things on your own and stuff which I don't think most of us at 8 or 14 were give a of season 2 stuff like that. So I think it's a privilege which excites me in a sense and kept me going on. Mm. It must have uh, been such an adventure. Where did you all go? Uh, it's actually somewhere nearby Penang. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, we just travel out by bus up there, 
go out to see. And then at some days where we were quite bored, we went to the land shop where we had a bit more adventurous and we just tour around the, the towns. Yeah, but still competing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so how many times did you go overseas in SEC2? Uh, Seto is only that one time. To be like, okay. Yeah, that's the only I think we had a new coach who came in and took over the squad. And I think he's the one who really set us further. So he showed us a certain pathway where he started to bring in equipments that are used in the Youth Olympic in 2010. Okay. Um, and also he starts to train us in equipment that can be competed in Southeast Asia and stuff like that for the games. So mm. and by the end of Sec 2, you have gone to Penang, you have a, a new coach, mm. and so that's when SEA Games started becoming um, a reality at, in Sec 3? Around Sec 3, yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's where there was two slots. Uh, one is there's an opportunity to compete in, uh, it's called the Mistral class, and the men's and the youth class. Okay. Yeah. So how did that strike you the first time you heard them say, hey Leonard, SEA Games. Do you uh, recall your, your memory of that? Yeah, so I think there was like a group of, of us who they told us, hey, there's an opportunity to go for the SEA Games. Mm-hmm. You can either choose the youth if you're under 19, or the winner will choose if both are under 19, and then the other one will go for the men's. Oh, yeah. okay. And so I think quite a few of us signed up for, for the trials, then we go and compete into it. Uh, fortunate to win it. Yeah. To get second, so that means my <laughs> teammate will be first, and he gets. To he goes to the men's. Uh, he gets to choose which one. Oh, he, he wants chooses to. which one he wants. Mm. Okay. Which he was 18, 17, 18 back then. So definitely, he gets the choice of going to the youth one, which is easier. So I was like, okay, go to the men's. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay, so so tell me about the then what happened after that. So Sea Games is on the cards. Mm. Um, where was the Sea Games, and what was your experience of that? Yeah, um, so the sea game was in um, Thailand. Um, this is 2007. Seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's quite fast, eh? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so 2007, yeah. This was uh, at Pattaya. Mm. So, I think how it was leading up to the games itself of the preparation? You must have been one of the youngest, right? Uh, one of you, finest. The optimist. Minus the optimist. Yeah, they are. Okay. They, they, yeah. they will be real. Yeah. There was uh, was that optimist class? Yes. Okay. Sea games. Yeah. So tell me about that. How was the the experience of the, the prep and mm. going to Pattaya? Yeah. I think the preparation leading up is that I think you just got to balance both school and also um, expectations. Mm. Yeah. So once is. The thing is that the games was in December, so that means you can clear school by November and still have the need time to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think expectation is the big one because going to the men's squad where you're competing with people who probably will have winter longer than you maybe have lived because they are like 23, 24 years old. Right. Mm. So that's where you're going to really reshape your mind. One is to uh, really go there and learn and enjoy yourself. Yeah. Um, if, if I can bring mm. you back to that year in the lead up mm. to uh, Pattaya, I just want to get a sense, you know, mm. what was a, a training day like or maybe a week? 
Like, mm. just want to get a sense of how did you cope both with training mm. and studies? What was a week like to you back then? If you can recall. Mm. So I think uh, even quite good routine. So out of uh, the whole of seven days, weekends will be definitely training um, at East Coast. On the weekdays itself, in the morning portion we have school. Uh, on the evening, we'll have uh, gym training right around here, yeah, at the stadium. Okay. Oh, at the stadium? Yeah. Okay. Mm. So you were in school all the way to easily, what, 3 p.m. Right. Then yeah. you hit here for gym. Mm. Okay. Which starts around like 6 to, to 8. And the gym training was how many times a week? Uh, so we do that uh, two times a week. Then okay. we add on with water training on one more day of the weekday. Oh. One to two. So water training was only limited to weekend? Uh, weekend and two weekdays. Two weekdays. So mm. the weekend, how long were you on the water? Uh, usually it's around, we start around 10.30, then all the way to the evening. Right. Mm. So easily, yeah. sounds like six, seven hours. Yeah. With lunch breaks. With lunch breaks, okay. Mm. So two land trainings yeah. in, the, in the gym, mm. then two water trainings during the weekday, mm. and then essentially six, seven hours out at National Saving Centre, yeah. basically the whole day. Yeah, but it's okay. fun, it was fun then. So how, yeah. where did you fit studies in all that Yeah. when you were 15 at that point? What like, was it like? Studies is where I think in class itself you just try to really absorb as much as you can and then homeworks. Yeah, I remember. The good thing is I have friends around who are like a bit, um, they like to quickly finish up things before they go on to the next activity. So sometimes we would quickly after class when we finish and things are still fresh, we just finish things up and then put it aside. And that's where kind of the time. Uh, the hard part is when there's a lot of things, then it's where after you finish training, mm. take a nap on the way back and then we continue on at night and get back to bed. So I think that's the challenging part. Okay. Oh, yeah. so this is when you have water training in the weekday and then after that, you still had yeah, homework. Uh, regime and yeah, yeah. homework. Okay. Mm. And what 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 were the challenges you faced when you were trying to, to do that? If you can recall. I think it's sometimes you. Okay, I think managing homework is. It's not too bad. Okay. Yeah, I think it's about managing burnout. That's more important. Burnout from the sport. Uh burnout from having so many things going on. Okay. Yeah. So I think that was more important. Okay. Yeah. In what way did you notice that that was something important? Like what signs were you getting that if you didn't watch yourself, you mm. might burn out. I think it's more of just getting tired of um, and wondering like, hey, why you keep on having to come here to train and doing all this kind of thing? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But sometimes you're wondering like, why am I doing this? Yeah. I think sometimes you'll come in and then when you start to wonder why this way, I think you have to find time and space to really rest a bit more mm. and then continue on. Mm. And then how, how did you, what did you do to rest um, back then? Yeah, so I think a good thing is having a mix of different school activities like uh, uh, yeah, that's where you have school events and stuff so that takes your mind away from 
uh, the sports itself and then come back in again. Okay. Yeah. So I think that helps. And also having a group of friends in school where sometimes in school holidays and stuff, you do different activities with them. I just go out cycling and stuff. Yeah. So, so you had a, a bunch of friends mm. outside your sailing of, teammate, mm. your sailing fraternity. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, um, yeah. May I ask, like, you know, how many of them did you hang out with outside sailing? If you can recall. <laughs> a few. Yeah. About. I, I remember there was a group of us who. Usually we were hang out together during holidays, so like uh, about six to eight of us. Yeah. And how did they, you know, see your sport? Because you were spending quite a bit of time sailing. Yeah. Obviously. Um, and if they say, if they ask you to hang out with them on a weekend, obviously you have no time. How does that work? I'll be honest. I didn't have an issue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's like a common understanding like, oh, he's not, he's not free on the You're weekend, so just like let him be and that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. that's great. So you had supportive friends? Yeah. Okay. And what, and they allowed you to just hang out with them and you all just enjoy life. There's no, nothing to do with saving and nothing, yeah. you know, nothing to do with studies too, I presume. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Okay. So these were schoolmates? Yeah, these were schoolmates. Okay. Mm. So, okay, now, uh, so you managed to juggle. It sounds like you you are quite prepared. You do your homework on a regular basis. <laughs> You're not the sort to leave, leave it you know, hanging, right? Yeah. It doesn't so sound like it's it. not early in the morning. Just come to school a bit earlier. That's like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, we all need friends like that. Yeah. To survive. Okay. So you manage to balance sports and training, and then you get yourself to Sea uh, Games. Tell me about that experience because you're 15 years old, right? End of that year, go to Pattaya, sailing against some uh, much older athletes. What was that experience like? It was. Yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot because. Um, yeah, I still, even though it's crazy to think about um, competing with people who are a lot older than you, a lot more experienced, mm-hmm. I think the expectation of going into the games itself, and also I think back then, and now they do have psychologists, right? This is for psychologists. Yes. Yeah, so I think the beauty of working with a sports psychologist, it helps you set the perspective, right? Um, Was there someone working with you? Yes. So there was this uh, Japanese lady, it's quite cool. Um, I think one key thing that I really pick up from her is just to enjoy yourself, whatever you do. Um, yeah, and I think she told me once like, hey, you're 15, don't worry about medals and stuff like that and results because... Um, Why, were you very anxious about medals? Do you recall that that was a major goal for you? Well, uh, I don't think so. I think knowing where, where I stand, being realistic uh, from the Federation point of view is that uh, for someone who is only in the sports for two years, competing with guys of 15 years of experience, and uh, Southeast Asia itself is pretty strong, where uh, quite a couple of countries like Indonesia and Thailand are Asian champions, which some of the Asian champions are Olympic medalists. So 
with that mentality in mind, I don't think the expectation was there. But I think that awards and helps plants a seed in the actions that um, and perspectives that I take on and I look at the sport itself. So you, mm. when you went there, you had a sort of a realistic expectation of yourself. <coughs> you yeah. were not gunning for a medal, there was no expectation yeah. for that. Yeah, I was like, no, I, if I can get a medal, that means I could get a medal in the Asian Gates and that means <laughs> I could get a medal in the Olympics. So, okay. hey, no issue. Okay. So no pressure yeah. then? No pressure then. Okay. Yeah. So, so now that when you look back in, uh, mm. that, with that experience, what would what do you think your sense of identity was as a fifteen year old with a Sea Games under your belt? <laughs> There's so much more to learn. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because it's so you left that game feeling like there's so much more to learn. Yes, because um, like I mean, you compete very compete with people who are like so much more experienced right. and get your ass work. <laughs> Okay. Um, I won't ask you how you finished that. <laughs> don't worry, it's an honest show. But I think it's yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll be honest. I I finished last or second last. Um, but the ability of seeing yourself competing with these people who are like fifteen to twenty years older than you, and it's slowly closing the gap each time round in each race, and also leading up because we go into Thailand a lot earlier to train with them and seeing a different conditions you can actually get close to them and win them one or two races. I think that's a good Oh did you manage to win? Uh one or two races. One or two races you can see you won a few of them. Okay. Um although yeah you can say okay they made a few mistakes and stuff like that but yeah that is I mean less mistakes. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Do you remember how you felt after you finished that Sea Games and knowing that you were quite close, that you could actually match some match them sometimes. Do you, do you still remember that that 15 year old sense of identity and, and confidence? Do you recall? Yeah, it's, I think it's still really like, wow, this, they are so good and there's so much to improve on and to work on. Yeah. Then, okay, so after that experience, um, you were not discouraged, I presume. Yeah, you, you wanted to continue. Mm-hmm. So, what was the next uh, major highlight after fifteen, after the Sea Games? Mm, that was uh, so we had the Youth Worlds. Okay, when was that? It was in July in Denmark. In twenty ten. Twenty oh eight. Twenty oh eight. Okay. All right. Pattaya two thousand seven. Yeah. So Youth Worlds. Yeah. Even bigger stage, um, in a way, because they are dealing with uh, sailors from windsurfers from all over the world. Yes, um, I think it was so. That was that was the goal because uh, firstly it's in Europe. Yeah. Um, haven't been there. Yeah. Always want to. So I think that was the camera on the stick <laughs> that moving forward. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a different set of equipment to learn, much bigger. Uh, that means you have to go a lot better. But I think that helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the challenge was doing that, having to do that yet was the O level year. Yes, I was just going to ask you about that because how did you juggle an O level year with the youth worlds in the middle of it? I think 
I would like to hear that experience. I think it would be interesting. Yeah, okay. I, I, I think a lot of athletes are very hardworking. Um, I'll be honest with you, I always study last minute. <laughs> that, that's the honest truth, but I think it's um, being able to juggle comes from, uh, I think, the start where. Uh, remember when I showed you Pinet? Yeah. So Pinet, what just so happened is during the uh, mid week, I don't know, mid semester test, and usually back then you like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so we kind of asked our back then principal for one time approval, like, hey, let's go and travel and compete. So he was, it was quite surprising. He was very very supportive. Uh, but in return. He took out a scorecard immediately, our report book, before we left. And it's like, okay, so English, math, science, and all this, this is your score. And at the next exam, this is the score I want to see. Right, before he agrees. Uh, he agreed. Oh, he agreed. He agreed. Like, you guys can go, but hey, uh, for the next exam, this is what I will expect. Yeah. Okay. So he just left it there. I don't think he checked. But back then when we were like sector, we were like, okay, okay, I better go and study for it. And that's where you start to realize that if you really put your heart to studying for it, I think surprisingly the score does increase. Okay. Um, so you saw a direct <laughs> correlation between your effort and the academic grade. Yes. Yeah. So I think that helps where well, it kind of fine-tune the way you study it. That's how it helps juggle where we go into uh, at the age of 16 going to all level. Okay. Yeah. So, so at, for youth world, even though it's an all level year, you've already figured out, okay, this is what I need to do to manage my studies and uh, get the grade I need. Yeah. And balance both. Yeah, so you kind of have the mentality of, okay, how am I going to study and, and to do the grade? But secondly, is that when the time comes and it gives you the door to open, Everyone was like, hey, are you going to bring like your the study notes and everything overseas? And I was like... Because <laughs> it's like June holiday and July. So I was right. like, just go for it. Enjoy. Enjoy it. Um, came back to school, felt the pain, but also you felt the urgency to, to like, really, okay, I had a good fun the past two months. I think time to study. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think that helps with the switch between like sports and study sports and study, it keeps the mind fresh because you enjoy the sports itself and you realize, okay, it's time that I need to come in to study. And then you have that sense of urgency. Whereas if you always have time on that side, then there's no push to, to rush for it. You're like, okay, never mind, let's go have fun and study another time. So then I thought what you just said was very interesting about how when you have your sport, train hard, you compete, you have fun in it, and then after that you switch out to studying and it keeps things fresh. And I think one of the observations we have noticed with some athletes is that, you know, just doing one thing, like just studying or just training, like competing, sometimes it's very difficult for some athletes to uh, cope with that. I mean, maybe I could hear your perspective on that topic. Yeah, I think I'm totally on you for this. Um, because Halfway through uh, in my sporting career, so I happened to have a Norwegian coach. Um, one thing that she shared with us was this, we were deciding, hey, is it a good idea to stop school 
and just focus on the sports. Um, and she was quite against it. She was more for having a mix of both school and sports, or having something in between where you can switch and switch your mind to it. So it helps you to stay focused when you are competing. This is something we saw that's more efficient when we start to race with the Thai team. So the Thai team was uh, full-time athletes which train every day. Whereas for us, it's, um, we have to juggle school. And then when we come into training, it helps because we didn't have that, that much of time on the water. So we try to be more efficient by being focused on what we need to improve during that period of time. And slowly, I think when you go on to the senior level and competing, uh, nearing to major competition, you see people are training at lower volume, more focused on precisely what they need to do to help them set up to compete and do well or perform. So yeah, having that switch and helps you to be more efficient at the point of time and a sense of urgency. So you noticed with the older athletes, maybe don't train as much, but they are very efficient yeah. with their training time. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe now that uh, we've talked about your time as an athlete, well, it's of, uh, 15, 16, you know, let's bring you up a uh, uh, couple of years uh, into your 17, 18, 19 years. Can you uh, think back and you know, share with us what were the highlights of that period of time for you, sports-wise and then studies-wise as well? Yeah. So I think after going through secondary school, um, let's transition into tertiary uh, education where you choose between junior college and yeah. poly. So that was when I hit, which is better. One is that short, short two years, the other one three years with more specialized, mm -hmm. giving you more opportunity to travel. So of course I chose the poly one, okay. uh, which was I think a blessing because um, got to travel a lot more overseas okay. to compete. Before, you know, tell us about the, the thoughts around choosing the poly route. Do you recall whether it was a choice that you made on your own completely? Mm -hmm. um, or was it something that you know, maybe your coach said, please go to the poly route? Or did your parents weigh in as well? Mm -hmm. Did your friends say, hey, come with us to JC? What, what were the, some of the pressures you faced around making that major transition decision? Mm -hmm. right? It's a huge decision. Yeah. Um, so I think I can re I can remember exactly the time where I received my O level cert, and at least knowing uh, what are the possible options. Okay. So it's quite funny. We were actually competing in uh, Thailand when the result came out. Uh, so my parents were like, "Hey, go cheap tickets. Only one hundred and twenty dollars to fly out to Thailand back." Oh. Yeah. So they were like, they they went to school. They helped me collect my cert, and then they flew. Up up to pass me. Your parents bought yeah. tickets to fly up to give you your O level results. Yeah, they were like, it's 120. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, like, so they self declare holiday and come out. So I remember that was very clear because they were like, a good excuse for them to get a holiday or so. I see, okay. Yeah. So back then, uh, okay, I think a lot of us will know that in junior college, uh, it's good for people who can really mark very well. In a sense, study very hard at, at key points and then to do well in the exams mm -hmm. because it's just one A level that decides it all. Yeah. Uh, probably it's more of like people who 
have to go for a long run, they need to choose a specialization that they enjoy in yeah. or they want to pursue it. And also, uh, those people are the kind that maybe they are not so good at studying, but they are very good at presenting and more hands-on. Okay. Yeah. So, so what was your assessment when you got your results? Mm. What what was some what was your self assessment at that time? Okay, so I, I put the first choice for junior college, but I put it something that's really hard to go in. <laughs> What yeah, was the reason for doing that? Uh, because I know it's... Because it sounds like you didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I guess I felt I was in between whether to choose both. Okay. Not too sure which one, to be honest. So I thought, hey, if that school which is something a bit hard to go in, the door's open, and if I go in, then I guess that's my pathway. Okay. If not, um, I'll go into poly because firstly, it's totally something that my parents aren't very comfortable in. But I feel it gives me the what, spend. What were they not comfortable with? Um, if I may ask. Okay, so I have two older sisters who went through junior college. It's a shorter route, if you And it helps you open doors into university. Okay. Whereas in poly, it's harder to go into university, the local use. And that's okay. the assumption then. Okay. Uh, of course, I think things have changed quite a bit recently. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's a good thing. Was it, was it a difficult conversation? with your parents about this major educational decision? And if so, how, how difficult was it? Yeah, to be honest, yeah, it's not so tough. They will share their thoughts, uh, but at the end of the day, most of the time, they leave it to me to make the decision. Uh, because I think there's something they believe it's, it's, it's my own life at the end of the day. And um, they may not be around all the time to mm-hmm. say, hey, you should go here or there, but rather, choose the path that you like. So that's the reason why I was able to switch from sailing to, to windsurfing or even starting off with sailing at the start. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm very grateful for that. Okay. So yeah. the, your parents were encouraging you to make mm. the decision on your own. Yeah. Did you get any other comments, ad- unwanted advice or maybe even yeah. unwanted advice from anybody else, from coaches, um, friends? about your educational decision. Mm. So we have a few like other teammates who are way older than me because uh, yeah, it's quite a nice pool that we all, all of us of different age come together. So some of them are like, hey, yeah, you go probably you get more space out time to go and travel okay. uh, and and windsurf. Whereas um, the others was like, how concerned and how Google they say, hey, I think knowing the way you study and stuff, I think going to junior college will feel better. Mm. So total honest our uh, goodwill mm-hmm. um, sharing, mm-hmm. which I was very grateful. At least they share their thoughts and can't make the decision uh, a lot harder and easier. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah, I guess when you when you just thought the hardest JC out there so that it opens down means it opens. Right. If not that means it'll be the second chance. <laughs> yeah. So eventually the you chose the, you went to the poly Yeah. Okay. Um, so tell us about that. You went to the poly because you wanted to go, or is it because you, uh, you the other, that JC did not choose, let you in, or what? what okay. How was it decided? Tell us a bit more. Um, yeah, like I say, like, I put the hardest JC means I don't want to go in, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had in mind what course I wanted to go. Um, 
I think in life it's not because that you know exactly what you want, but also sometimes it's important time where different people inspire you. So back then I think my chemistry uh, teacher uh, kind of inspired me in the way that hey maybe we should try chemical engineering okay. because uh, one it's always easier as an engineer to go into business than a business person to go into engineering. So that's how I rationalized with my parents that hey, if I really need to go, I can always switch in that sense. Yeah. And it's more technical, science-based uh, skill that is that is a lot easier than to hey, I can't really quantify what the skills that I think. Okay. So in you school. you chose chemical engineering mm. in poly. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about um, how poly life merged with your sports life and you know, how did it support yeah. to uh, your sporting pursuits? Mm. Um, so I think it was... Okay, there was quite a few lecturers who were very, very, very supportive. Mm. So I came up and told them honestly, like, hey, I'm going to compete and I'm going to study at the same time. Um, so these are my travel schedules. Is it okay? I can travel. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so you do this early in the season? Yeah, early on. Because that's what happened when I went to the school. I had to like, oh, sorry, I had this this competition coming up and this competition coming up. Mm. And then I had the honest conversation with them. So they were actually very nice. They were like, one is that they are willing to, when I come back and the classes are missed, they will help. Um, find extra time to guide me through all those. So that's one thing. Uh, I think the second thing was that the first thing they told me, and I remember it very clearly, it's like, hey, and whether you finish at the age of 19, 20, or 21, when you finish your poly, it doesn't really matter because missing out one or two years of your workforce timing, hey, at the end of the day, you get to enjoy life a bit longer. Yeah, so I think that was... So this was advice from your poly lecturer? Yeah, okay. early on. So I was like, wow, okay, I, I didn't expect that to come, but yeah. Maybe I took it a bit too much and I was like, okay, let's start to travel a bit more. So I think my my, my schoolmates was like, what? Out of 18 weeks, they were away for like, the worst was 12 weeks. So I could go off for three weeks, come back for one week school, go off for three weeks, come back for one week school. Where yeah. were you traveling to? Um, yeah, so uh, I think some of it was like we had an opportunity to train into Taiwan and then leading up to different games. So we go for a few training camps uh, and then go for the games. Mm. So your teammates were, uh, sorry, your schoolmates were teasing but, you about that? Yeah, but I guess it, it works in both ways because when you come back, your mind is fresh. So you kind of focus on and suddenly you start to realize that, hey, um, instead of having three weeks of lessons, um, just sitting down in the office with your lecturer for two hours is a lot more efficient. Uh, where we talk about the efficiency of training right. and going to Thailand competing, our counterparts, we see that growth and forget closing. So I think that was like, wow, okay. Of course, not every lecture is so nice to, to spend time, so of course. I'm very grateful for that. So what were the major competitions when you were in poly life um, for you at that time? Mm, so in poly life, the major competitions were... I was quite fortunate to go for a few. So two of which uh, 
the, the new phones, um, one Asian Games in China, and also um, the Olympic test event and the Olympic qualifiers for Tunisia London Olympics. So I think those were quite a key major milestone in the sports itself. Okay. Mm. And so it was just school life where you traveled quite a bit sometimes mm. and you had very supportive lecturers who helped you catch up. Yeah. And that's how you balanced. Yeah. And you were very efficient with the, the time when yeah. you came to studies. But I guess one of the challenge in poly was that because you're transiting from the two youth events, the two youth work into the men's category for the 2012 um, Olympics. So maybe I'll give you a time frame to give you a, yeah. uh, a mental model first. So finished O8, 2009 to 2012. So that's the three years um, of poly. That's where 9 and 10 was the youth class. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of 10, you transit over to the men's class okay. and compete um, for 2011-2012. Right. So I think that was the key highlight where having all these events, but being able to transit over was really tough. Okay. Mm. So you did the poly as a three-year program. Mm. Right? You didn't have to stretch it out. And at that time, your, you made the major transition from youth to men's. Yeah. So now looking back again, what, how was that transition for you? How did you experience it? How do you recall it now? Um, yes. It's a step up, right? Yeah, so I remember 2010 uh, after... Okay, so 2010 was like in the middle of the year, it was crazy high. Mm -hmm. and then, uh, yeah, going for my first European youth event. Um, just being there alone because all my teammates couldn't go out there because the timeline was too short. So we went in compared like out of 100 over, 120. I remember just missing top 10 on the 11th, which, which was quite good because I never expected that result. So that was like a crazy high. It's like, hey, I can do anything. Everything is possible. So that was in June 2010 to in September when you realize that, hey, I need to switch over to the men's class already. Right. Going out uh, this time round to prepare for the Asian Games uh, at the end of 2010. Mm. Um, competing with men who are like so much better, so much faster. Uh, finishing races at, at last fields in, in the Europeans and the Worlds. Uh, that was like, wow, a crazy high to down low. Right. From thinking that you were one of the best in the world at yeah. youth level and then going to the men's and then realizing mm. whoa. Like I wouldn't thought the transition would be that big from like close to top ten to last few and then getting my ass kicked all the way through. How yeah. did you react? Um emotionally. I guess it's just like just keep going. Because um I think in poly point of time the mindset was always to like, hey, let's see whether it's possible to qualify for the Olympics. Okay. Yeah. So that was the thought of it. Okay. So that was your motivation? Yeah. Never mind, just keep going. Yeah. Olympics. Just like, hey, let's try for it. Anyway, I'm in poly already. Um, there's no reason to like just quit the sport. Just okay. I enjoy the privilege of traveling. 
and skipping school. <laughs> so that's why I'm interviewing you now because I can never interview someone who's skipping school all the time. <laughs> they will never say this. <laughs> it's like, yeah, can I, can I tell your, your teachers all this? Until right. you finish and that's right. you pass it. That's right. right. Now you can say whatever you wanted to say <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about the Olympic journey since we are now at that point, right? We are, you are gunning for yeah. the Olympics. So I guess the, uh, at the end of 2010, leading up to 2011 was one of the toughest part of time because uh, you're always going overseas to compete and travel and race and then you just see yourself in the leaderboard at the bottom field. Okay. Uh, because naturally, you know, Singapore doesn't have strong winds. Yeah. Uh, these people have a huge team of really good people to train with which that's why when I was in the youth I was very thankful that I was training with people who are way better and way older than me which helps breaks up but on the flip side is that you know you have, just have to be out there to pick it up and slowly climb up yeah so it's just like a restart to go on uh, I think what was happening is that at the end of that one and a half year uh, in Perth itself, I think that was where I really started to see the results. It was getting uh, into from bottom of the field, you slowly move up to mid-flip in conditions which usually Singaporeans do really badly, which are strong weights. Okay, okay. Mm. So you saw improvement yep. even though you were at the bottom of the, the table, mm. so to speak. Yeah. You started to see yourself climb up the, the ladder. Yeah. Okay. And I was grateful that during that year that we had uh, a team of um, teammates of Windsurfers who actually travel to this event and compete together. Mm-hmm. And also, just, just purely had going there. And even though it was tough, um, I think the people makes a difference and having the fun of whatever situation we're in, just to enjoy it. Right. Helps a lot. Mm. So, even though it was an individual sport, mm. having a team around you, mm. teammates, of course, coaches. Mm. That, that made a difference for you. Yeah. yeah. I think having a team is the biggest benefit because I think on days that you're not going fast or things that you, are, you feel like, hey, they're lethargic, that's where they're the one who pull you up because they're doing better. Mm-hmm. And then you're just understanding, hey, why are they doing better? Uh, and you pick the techniques from there. Mm-hmm. So as you started climbing a ladder, what was the next thing that happened to you that? What was a highlight for you? Uh, okay, so I think it was a like crazy high when you hit like, hey, in Perth, that was the first qualifiers. So you saw yourself like, um, with, still within the range of qualifying. Though you miss out on the first time round, there's a second round in Spain to do it. So that's where like, okay, let's train up towards that. Okay. Um, went to Spain, totally lost it. The winds was too crazy. Didn't qualify, have to go into the army. So. That was kind of the end of the journey. Okay. Yeah, in 2012. Okay, so your last chance to qualify, mm. that was, you missed it. Yeah. And then army comes up. Yeah, army comes up. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember the that feeling? Like, okay, I have to go to the army now. End of my, end of my sports for a while. Yeah, I guess. How did you feel? is okay because um, so this is something I remember very clearly sitting down with both my coaches and my team manager we were talking just with um, 
a few months before going army, that we say we're talking about supports and all this, like uh, making sure there's a pathway and support. And reviewing the past few one and a half years. Um, so the thing was that, hey, I mean, even though we missed out 2012, let's try 2016. Mm. Uh, what was your reaction when they said that? I said, uh, that, that was the rebel. I told them, hey, we can go for 2016. Oh, you told them you yeah. want to try 2016. Yeah, okay. so I think the, something they told, I think it's just a statement at a point in time because it's a bad factual thing that they see. A lot of people that go, in, go into army, leave the sport, that's it, full stop. Uh, and never came back. Yeah. And that's the, that's the truth. Yeah. Um, a lot of youth actually do very well, see the potential in them doing well in the men's and then going out and left the spot. So, I guess that was one of the conversations that we had, like, hey, will you come back after that? They were asking you, uh, will you come back yeah, after we, NS? Yeah, I can't really remember the specific reason why we're having that chat over there, but I remember we are talking about all these points. So I could tell them, like, hey, yeah, I want to come back, I want to, I want to do that, but I'm not going to try to do sailing and army at the same time. You're not going to? No. Yeah. What's, uh, what was your rationale? What what's your rationale? <laughs> okay, this one you have to take offline. <laughs> I don't get caught by the... <laughs> Why? Are you going to tell me something illegal? No, no, no. Okay, this is... Hard to say. Out okay, loud. this is the honest show in Singapore. I mean, if the government asks you to go into the army, um, and then trying to to mix army and then doing um, the sport, it will be very destructive because a lot of times you can't travel overseas because you are in army. And then secondly, it's also having your mind in two different places but not going forward is quite tiring. So I think one of my teammates who actually shared, shared this with me before, um, he went to army for me and he says that, hey, you just, just go there and focus on what you need to do there. In NS, yes. focus on yeah. NS stuff. Yeah, because you can't, it's like working full time and then you can't ask for time off and time off and skipping training and expect yourself to go forward. Okay. So, just stick with it. Okay. Yeah, so. don't try to like fight it sometimes. So you just went to NS, you mm. just did NS and that was it? Yeah, just clear that, that two, that one year, eight months. So in other words, there was no sailing, no serious sailing of any shape or form. No, not, not even recreationally? There is recreation, of course. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you kept you in the sport, but recreationally. Yeah, just go and find um, halfway through and get to clear leave just overseas to Vietnam just to win. So uh, that was good fun. Um, I remember going with Poké with uh, my teammates who were, who already finished the army and stuff. So just going out there and racing and just for fun of it. Yeah. So Leonard, I was uh, hearing you talk about how NS uh, was a point where a lot of people who were national athletes with very high potential and NS just makes them maybe rethink it, rethink their sport and then a lot of them drop out. Um, what's your observation of that? Uh, seeing how others drop out. Maybe you could talk about that and then what was your own decision about uh, returning to high-performing, high-performance sport? Yeah, I think uh, within Singapore itself, it's uh, 
common ingredient that a lot of people do very well in their youth phase, after which uh, NS is like a break of their momentum. And then they either try to mix of do both NS and the sports and continue on, or a lot of them just decide to stop and then just focus on doing well in life in other areas. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think for me it's that doing before you go to your reasons, may I just ask what are your observations of people who drop out after NS? Mm. What do you think are the common themes that emerge? Why do people drop out even though they were potential. I think it's sometimes they look at it more in terms of a global perspective um, that if you miss out two years of your athletic career and try to climb back up to compete with the world stage I think that's quite hard yeah so with, given that perspective mm. how did that uh, impact you what was your decision? Mm. Knowing though that I missed out on time, but uh, I think before that, going to NS, uh, the thought of wanting to actually continue on thereafter and just trying for it, it's one, uh, it's been within me, and two, it's that I think just nice when I was about to finish my NS, I think. Uh, a door open up where after I express interest like hey I want to continue on and try out I think we was given a chance to go into China to trade with the Chinese athletes which are known to be very very good and also there's a huge team of people there which you can pick up skills from uh, and learn from there so you were internally intrinsically motivated you wanted to come back yeah. you wanted to give it a shot again yeah and this opportunity to train with the Chinese mm. was a good incentive to also continue. Yeah, because um, that creates the opportunity of a training environment that could help accelerate the growth. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell us about that, that phase, uh, coming back into training, high performance training. Um, what was the adjustment like? That was, that was tough. Man. Yeah. What are the, what are, how tough was it? What was so painful about that time that will stay with you for the rest of your life? Okay, uh, I think the funny thing is in army when, so I was, I was an officer then, so you lead them and do stuff. It's a lot easier because you really have a whole team to do things and you just guide people through. But suddenly when you go back down to like, hey, we're starting from this, the base and when things get tough, instead of usually in the army as an officer, you become a cheerleader. This time around, you just got to cheerlead yourself all the way through uh, as you go through the training. Yeah. And sometimes you, so in when we went to China to train, um, I think the goal was very clear, is to perform well in 2015 SEA Games in Singapore itself. Yeah. Um, so that helps, at least as a goal point, but during that goal point, it was quite tough because um, firstly, you compete, you are training with people who are so much better than you. So naturally, you see there's a huge gap. And I think some athletes will definitely feel it. Even in Singapore, when you train with um, the guys that are older and what, they are so fast, and they'll be like, hey, is it even possible to catch up? Mm -hmm. 
or am I just so lousy? And the truth is, no, you're not lousy. And it takes a long time just to even move forward. This was how training with the Chinese made you feel. Yes. Like, That's the honest truth. Really lousy. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you do a two-lap competition, um, it feels like I just finished one lap and then they just finish everything already. Like, good. And then they all look at you, waiting for you to finish. Yeah, they're just like enjoying their drinks, chit-chatting and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that was tough. Okay. And so there were some, I suppose, a lot of expectations too on you because it's a home games. How, how are you dealing with that? What were the expectations? How did you deal with that? I think, um, it helps a lot when, when you know that, hey, this is your end point, but being so far away, it gives you the chance to say, hey, okay, this is my end point where I want to go to at the end of the day. Um, at each point in time, what are the things I need to do and improve so I can get better to, to reach that point? So I remember starting out with the Chinese training in, in June okay. 2014. Okay. So that was tough. Um, hit on to October 2014. Um, results were bad. It's like, oh shit, so far away from that. And yeah. So that got me thinking and I'm thinking of, hey, what are the, the specific areas that really needs to improve okay. on? <clears throat> um, to actually do well based on Singapore conditions. And then let's go and learn and pick that up. Um, so that helps because with that refresh in mind in October, uh, October and November that period, it was very helpful because that's what happened at the All China Games there, which is a big event for them. All the Chinese from different states come in together and compete. And that's where I realized that training was a lot more, I'll say, efficient and progressive because of that point in time where you feel so lousy and you relook and think of the specific things that you need to work on and just go out there and focus on those stuff. So that's where I saw the gap kind of close up a lot more. Oh, you took part in the China National Games? Uh, no, but I trained with them for that. Okay. Yeah, that's the one is like, they're all games. So I trained with them all the way until just before the games, then I leave. Yeah, so that helps because when you have so many people there and then when you know specifically what you need to learn and you see yourself growing up, that helps. Secondly is also I think the Chinese are very sweet. They'll be like, I remember three months ago I see you, right? You're so far away. Now at least I still can smell you. I was like, okay, thanks, thanks, thanks. Thank you very much. But I mean, that's, that's encouraging because you're getting closer and they say, though it's, it sounds very funny, but it helps, out, it helps a lot to know that, hey, whatever hard work you're putting in, it's progressing forward. Even though not there yet, but still better. So the investment of three months? In, uh, how long was it in China? In China, so we were, we're in and out every month. Okay. In and out. Uh, we do that all the way up to um, two months before the games in Singapore. Okay. Yeah. So that paid off? That pays off. So tell me about the SEA Games, the experience, the home games. How was that? Yeah. The expectations and the targets? Yeah, so I think the home games, um, 
going to the games knowing that it's tough because like which uh, I think I shared with you before, Thailand and Indonesia mm-hmm. they are very strong. Mm-hmm. Some of them are Asian champions and stuff. So but having a small pool of people fighting on for one spot it's a slightly different game. Um, and that's where I thought, okay, it is possible, go for it. Though they are they are good, you guys will fight hard. Mm-hmm. Um but in the mind, always thinking of like, hey, I just need to get first, get first, get first. Mm-hmm. I think that's not very healthy. Okay. Yeah, because I think this is what I feel. At the start, it's always just enjoy what you do and then that the result comes in, that helps a lot. But when you're just focusing on results, 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 um, you throw everything out and you make illogical decisions when you race and putting unnecessary stress to really think things through clearly. So there was an expectation for you yeah. to be first, to win the gold, and you think that has, in some yeah. ways, made you make not efficient or not good decisions. Yeah, and yeah, I make bad decisions that are big risks into it. Yeah, so you took risks. In the competition itself, yeah. And didn't pay off. Yeah. Mm. So how was it, what happened when, when you didn't pull off the gold? in the home games. What was the feeling around it and what was all the all the comments? I'm sure it was not easy. Um, okay, I think people around in the sports scene itself, they were very nice because they know that first thing is not easy. Uh, secondly, is, I was very grateful that uh, my teammate, um, she won the goal. So I was like, okay. <laughs> solid. Yeah, that was tough. And she won it at the final race. It's like neck to neck better. So that was good. Um, so I was like really happy for her. And on my side, it's like, hey, so grateful that a lot of them were like, hey, don't worry, it's tough. But getting a second is, is good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's tough mm. when uh, you have the home games and mm. people's expectations are sometimes sky high. Yeah. But of course, it reached a point where you question yourself like, hey, it's 2016 real. Yeah, it's like, is it possible or what? So, okay. Mm, that's where the point I decided like, hey, I think it's time to go back to school. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because after NS, right, you now have the decision to, to make about mm-hmm. university. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Olympics. Maybe you could share with us uh, yeah. what happened mm-hmm. with regard to school. At the Olympics. Mm. So after the, um, okay, so after NS, I decided to take a gap year to focus on windsurfing itself because the opportunity opens up to go into China to train, mm. which means we'll be there for a month, come back for a week, go back there again just to stay refreshed. Uh, makes it very hard to study. Yeah. Yeah and juggle both because I think sometimes in life even though it's good to have both you have to weigh the option when you have only this opportunity to go and train with top few people right. I think sometimes you just need to go out there and see it So you were willing after NS to mm. say let's take another year off to just dedicate the training full time with mm. the 2015 SEA Games in mind Yeah So once SEA Games was out of the way what yeah. were the options for you? So I was like okay I think it's time to just go back to school I guess when you are at that point where you know hey, you did well, you want to get where you want to go, but you don't get it. I think sometimes it's just good to 
give yourself some space. Mm. Uh, I think school helps. And that's where I was very thankful. Um, we embarked on a new project where we try to bring and revive uh, NTU Windsurfing Club. Okay. Yeah, so a few of the other windsurfers who happened to be in the same school, after that I found out, I was like, okay, let's, let's try out and let's build a club. So I think the, the mentality shift from just purely racing to like, hey, what are the things and how can we grow this club mm. itself? Okay. So you went to NTU? Mechanical engineering? Uh, no, business. No, business, okay. Yeah. So you decided to do business at mm. NTU. So university and high performance training, what was the experience for you in uh, university? Yeah, so it's slightly different from, from Poly, where you can do the last minute study. Uh, people there are a lot smarter. <laughs> uh, you have to really study in advance and stuff like that. Yeah, so it was quite painful because halfway through, it's like, okay, let's take a, a two weeks break and go to Japan to compete and when I came back I was like, wow, this is hard to catch up. Uh, yeah. Okay. But it's okay, uh, that's where the key thing is, this is something um, a high performance back then when I was doing my O-level taught us, like, hey, it's okay to take breaks to study for your exam and stuff like that and be out of the sport because like riding a bike, you always know how to come back in thereafter. The challenging part will be the level of fitness. Okay. Uh, if your level of fitness drop and to bring back up, that takes time. So the key thing is to maintain the fitness, even though you do other things. And when you come back on, you just need to sharpen your skills again. So how did you keep your fitness going, even uh, though you were focusing on studying in a high performance training? Yeah, that's where, where you have the team of people where you're trying to build the windsurfing club. Okay. You have your own. Uh, workout and I think even up to today, even stopping from the sports itself for quite a while, mm. uh, fitness is something that is a lifestyle, so we still continue on. Mm. So, what were your major events that you were shooting for when you were in NTU? And what was it like juggling studies and high performance training? Um, okay, so we just only for that one semester, yeah, yeah, half the year mm. in 2015. It was just to just go back to school and just enjoy school. Right. And pick from there out. Just uh, focus on school. Just focus on school. Okay. Yeah. So sports just sports took a backseat. Took a backseat. Still do it, but not full on training every weekday and finding like as crazy as back then when I in China. Yeah. But I guess that helps because it, it's it's a different break on switching from last time I shared with you on the day to day or week to week or month to month basis. Yeah. No, it's just a period of time where you switch, okay, break from sailing, come back to sailing again there after in December. Mm. Yeah. So in December I was like, okay, let's do it again. Uh, this time around can we have the opportunity to go back into China and train? Um so we gotten a chance to, though my coach won't be able to join us. Uh just it'll be just me alone go up there. But if the door open, then just seize it because. So this is your first year at NTU. Mm. The chance to go back to China, the train came up. Yeah, as in, um, to go. actually, this time around it's a bit different. This time around it's after studying a while and rethinking of things. That's where you have the clarity of mind. Mm. And then that comes in where, hey, do I really want to give it a try for the last phase of the Olympics? Mm. Um, and I think. Within me is the answer still yes. Okay. So how? 
So the motivation to mm. go to the Olympics reasserted itself yeah. when you were in the uh, first year of NTU yeah. and you said you want to give it a shot. Yeah. So what was the decision you made at that point? So it's, it's, to, it's to go back and the first thing in mind is that how do you qualify for it? Okay. So in March itself, there's the qualifiers. Um, there's a world championship just before that leading up and that's in February. So what do I do now in December till then? Okay. So this is that's December 2015, 2015 to, to March, March 2016, 2016. Which is about three, four months before yeah. Rio Olympics. Yeah, so that's that's the decision point. Um, so I was thinking, hey, okay, let's go and focus on training. Stop school for once because this is your final lab. Really. So take a leave of absence. Yeah, okay. this is the final lab. I think you need to be a bit more precise on what you want and take a risk in that sense right. for, for another half year. Okay. So that's where at a point in time in December it's like should I stay in Singapore and train or should I what's the best option? Mm. So the goal is to try to try my luck to see whether I can go into China and train first. Mm. And then come back, we have training camps uh, it's a time mm. go into the World Championship in Israel and then lastly go to Abdullah for the qualifiers. Mm. So I think that was the plan was to try to open as much training doors as you can with people who are way better than you to pick that up. So you train with the Chinese, mm. train with the Thais? Yeah. Okay. And then what happened at Abu Dhabi? Um the qualifiers. I think this time around it's like sea games happen again, but slightly different. Slightly different. I think in life it's always nice that to have failures in a sense because it sets you up for bigger success I guess um, so back then it's, instead of going to the games I was just thinking of like hey I want to qualify I want to qualify and what it's just like hey let's think of a logical thing of what you need to do on each race itself let's take one race as a side at, at a time so you didn't want to repeat the mistake of yeah. the sea games in Singapore mm. you were just thinking how to get the goal how to get the goal how to yeah. get the goal yeah, so just like this race, one race at a time, just do your best. If it comes, it comes, it doesn't come. So, yeah, I think the first two days were like really bad. It's like there's only one stop in the qualifiers, and there are seven countries fighting for it. Mm -hmm. well, one qualifying Olympic spot. Yeah, one. <laughs> Sorry, two. Two. But one is for sure taken already because. Okay. Uh, one of the countries is really strong. Okay. Yeah. So everyone's shooting for second place in other Yeah. So that was that's hilarious. Yeah, so I think that one when the first two days of the competition out of a seven days competition, mm. um kind of far far back behind on the sixth position out for men. But as the saying goes, it's just take one race at a time. Just go one position at a time and let things be. Mm -hmm. So I think that helps through competition so I slowly climb back up and focus on things that you can control rather than on the Olympics but So you were fifth or sixth after the second day? Yeah in terms of country ranking. And after that? Third and fourth day? Right? And slowly it goes up. So I think on the on the fourth I can't remember exactly the details, 
okay. yeah. as you remember it. Yeah, so on the fourth day, it was like about, it was quite close, about three, three to four. Okay. Within yeah. smelling distance. Yeah. Okay. And then on the final day, it was just me and the Indonesian fighting it off. For the last, for the last second spot. Yeah. Okay. So that was quite funny. Tell, at us, last. About that. Tell us about that last uh, race and maybe we can end it on that, yeah. that note. So I think the last, last race was quite hilarious. I was staying in the same room as my uh, my coach. And then uh, at 4.30 a.m., both of us like, returned to each other. You didn't sleep, right? Oh, you didn't sleep? Both of us the were like, Yeah, both of us were like... Last race. Yeah, we slept and then we woke up like, I think it was a bit too early. Oh. And... Obviously, you can't sleep properly. Yeah. And the heart is like pounding, but... I think when you go out there, it's just... Back to the basic one. He's the person that you need to find on. What are the things you need to do to make sure that he doesn't win you? So stay close to you. And then because uh, before our race, there's the ladies who started. So you're able to read the condition on where, which side is better and stuff like that. And no matter what, just stick, stick with him all the way through, but just be in front of him. Okay. Yeah, so we stick to that until a point in time when he's a bit further away, then we just pull off. Okay. So that helps. It's just simplify things keep to your race plan and stick with it. So and trust your gut feeling. Recall that feeling when you beat your closest competitor and you got that last qualifying spot. Can you recall what happened? How you felt that day? I think it's grateful. Um, because I think one it's teammates and coaches, I think they're the one who stick by you through the hardest time where just finish NS up is so tough but they're always there around to help you find ways to improve uh, so I'm really grateful for my coach and my teammates parents yeah and not just temple but it's a real it's a real yeah so on the day you qualified and became an Olympian you flooded with feelings of gratefulness for your family your teammates and also feels a bit surreal. Yeah, but when you have that space again to look back, I think it's very nice how at the start when you talk about 15 years old, mm. all the doors opens up nicely at the right timing, mm. going to China into training and getting defeated in C games and kind of stuff and helps that. Mm. Yeah. So I guess maybe just to ask you one last question is if you look back at your long journey as an athlete, as a sailor, how did you cope? How do you think you managed to cope? What were your best coping mechanisms? Did it change over time or did you find a unique Leonard Long style of coping with life as, as life hits you, training at a high level, coping with studies, coping with NS, coping with not meeting expectations. How did you cope? When it falls back to a few fundamentals. One is, I think just before going to 20, 27 SEA Games in Thailand, when you compete with the men, it's about just enjoying the sport that you do. Uh, because I mean, with all this highlight day in day out is the routine of training. And if you don't enjoy that, so what if you reach the top? It's, it doesn't mean anything. 
Um, secondly, it's the script for the people around that at times where you really need support, uh, people just come into your life in that sense at the right time along the way. So I think that helps a lot. Right? At the age of 14, the new coach come in. Um, in poly and transition, just before transition, uh, had a new coach, the Norwegian coach who came in and gives a perspective. Um, being up to the final phase, China, the doors open in China. Um, a different coach came in, which had a lot of experiences, so that helps me to. They come here at the right time, I guess. If they come here a bit too early, I guess, it doesn't shape the way I am. If they come here a bit too late, um, the skills they impart uh, may not be what I need to create that lift at my time. So I think it's it's a very timely. Yeah. Thanks for that. Man. One last question. What was it that your parents did for you that you think was really very helpful or you found it very encouraging? What was it that they did or said? I think it's being supportive in whatever decision I've made along the way. And always being around and supporting. They are are super supportive. As in, in this interview, I never said anything much about them, but other than the fact that they flew up to Thailand or or the set, but yeah. If I were to say I think that would take another ten hours. Yeah, it's a lot. That's great. And on that note, thank you very much for sharing with us your journey as a athlete and as a someone navigating a sometimes very complicated, very stressful academic system. Of the challenge of NS, the fact that you came back after NS. It's a rare, very rare thing as well. So thanks for taking the time. Thanks today. for having me today. So, Leonard, thanks for coming back again to uh, share your story. I think uh, we spent an hour and a half the last time and we covered quite a bit of ground. Then I realized. We only just got to the Olympics, but we didn't even get a chance, you know, to, to talk about the Olympics. But, you know, before we, we get there, um, you know, looking back from that conversation we had, you know, what, what stood out for you from that conversation that uh, perhaps uh, if we hadn't had the conversation, you may not have thought about? Did anything jump out at you from that conversation? Um, was it go, good to go back quite far? <laughs> I think it's really about being grateful for for the people that were in each phase of the journey from secondary school down to when I was in poly and then thereafter going to NS which is a nice downtime mm. and then coming back in with back into the games. Okay. Yeah, so I think the whole alignment was very nice and I think it's a good memory that sometimes <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds crazy at the start, like to have this kind of big dreams and just hoping for it, but don't, no, not knowing where you're heading to, but seeing everything line up when you just look back at it. Mm. Um, 
I note that you talk about the relationships, the people mm. uh, that helped you along the way. Um, you didn't talk about uh, anything else, but that was the first uh, most important thing for you. You look back at all the people who have helped you. Um, what was it about their support that really struck you? Maybe you can pick up mm. one or two people first you know, about their support that really made a difference to you. Yeah. Okay, I think first one, it's probably the coaches that I had. Um, each of them kind of opened new doors of opportunities. Um, trained the way, not just I tr the way I work on the water, but also the way we think through things. Mm. Um, which kind of like bring on to what we do in life nowadays, after sports. Um, so for example, I think for my first coach, uh, TC, I think it's amazing how he could come in and then taking a squad, which I think that then if you really look at us, it's what we call no home. Just kids going around having fun. But he's managed to really bring opportunities for us to go overseas and race, uh, like the youth was going to the sea games, getting equipment to train on. That's something that in terms of groundwork, it's not easy, especially it's not his full-time job back then. How old were you when you first started training under him? Uh, that was like 13, that was 14. Yeah. Mm. Through the eyes of a 13, 14 year old, what was it about your coach that made the difference to you, the positive difference, looking back now? Because <laughs> you're dealing with an adult, right? Yeah. Probably half his size at that time, and maybe that, one third his age. <laughs> you know, can be quite intimidating. Yeah, but was positive. I think it's wealth of experience being able to manage different stakeholders. So imagine us like kids, kind of like there's no potential per se, but he's able to see that within us. He's able to articulate the opportunities both to the management and also to us to actually set a mindset that there's so much possibility within us and I think the biggest positivity thing is the, the ability to enjoy the sports okay. yeah because okay. I think you can feel that he loved it a lot when he first started coaching so it's more of a he's coaching it because he just want to give back and see us grow rather than because of the pay or because of the prestige because clearly both are not there and that's not his day job. Mm. And how did you react to that kind of positivity when you were under him? I guess it's infectious in the sense that you kind of grow to love the sport. Like for example, I think because he's a slalom sailor, which slalom means like they go for speed and they do a lot of like quick turns like the slalom skiing down the slopes, similar on the water. So when it comes to the northeast monsoon between December to January, that's where you get really strong wind in Singapore, rainy season. And that's where you just see us being out there enjoying ourselves, okay. which, which is fun. Yeah. And who else? Who are the other people that you recall very strongly even mm. after all this time? Yeah, I think secondly, it's also my, my second coach, um, 
my Norwegian coach, I think there are three key things that really struck into my mind. Uh, firstly, she always tell me like, Leonard, follow your heart, not the mind. I think in life, that's kind of helped me make a lot of different decisions. At times, you might think it's not logical, like leaving school and then going full on in the last phase or continue on after NS when people say, hey, I think it's time to focus on career and stuff like that. So that's one. Uh, secondly, is also when she was training us, she was like 42 years old. So thinking back now at age of 29, people around my age were like, yeah, I'm feeling old, here's aching, that's painful. <laughs> I think I'm going to get all these sicknesses and stuff. But then you rethink about things when recently I went back on the water. And I was like, hey, what are they talking about? If a 40-year-old lady can windsurf with us, train with us equally as hard, both on the water and in the gym, and still coach, and campaign for back then it's the London Olympics. I don't think where we are now is an excuse. It's more really the mentality of how we think about ourselves. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. Yeah. So she gave you a very positive example of uh, adulthood. Yeah. Of even middle age. <laughs> it's exactly. And I think it's also the environment where she's being brought up. Mm. So I remember I went over to their place in Norway. Uh, for training and she told me like hey her mom just came back from a 120km bike ride uh, and I was like how young is she? <laughs> and she was like 70 so I was like what? and the, I think the best part of all is that she teaches spinning classes the mom yeah, maybe for not for the young folks but hey I think at their age 70 years old on the bike teaching you yeah, I guess it's the environment that brought out and, and when we really think through about all that, I think it's, it opens a lot more doors and opportunities and what is about growing older, per se, or growing wiser. How old were you, were you then when you were under her? Uh, that was when I was 16 to about 19. Okay, okay. Mm. Now if you look back at that period, again, 13 to 19, um, mm. What were some of the very difficult challenges you had to go through? Um, really negative. In, even now, looking back, it's, you know, really could be really hard to think about. Um, it's a bit far. <laughs> I don't feel the pain as much <laughs> now, but um, I guess it's the transition when you go from youth into men. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was the hardest transition phase because youth some, when we end up youth, it was quite a high position mm -hmm. where you think things are impossible and everything is just, sorry, things are possible and nothing is impossible per se. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you go into man category and get your ass whooped right. by people who are like super experienced. Okay. So I guess the ability to stay motivated mm -hmm. and continue on mm -hmm. training, I think that was the part that was challenging. Okay. But I think I was quite privileged per se okay. to overcome the challenge. I think 
a lot of doors open along the way. So maybe we can just dwell a little bit mm. on that part because as we know, you know, people mm. drop out of sport and some of these some of the reasons are because the transition is mm. too much. They go to a higher level and they decide that's it, let's, let's not suffer anymore. Yeah. What do you think made you continue? Was it a person? Was it a, a coach? Is it something to you? Was it your parents? Was it something deep inside you? Maybe a, a variety of reasons. Maybe not just one thing. Um, yeah, I think the good thing is that I was in a position where I think it was the second year of poly. So it's like neither here nor there. So I guess maybe if it was the last year of poly and then you transit over and then there after NS, yeah. it makes a very natural choice of like, just leave. Okay. Uh, second year of poly, I guess that's where you start to like, it's still halfway through things and there isn't really a clear reason why to stop. But hey, just continue on because I guess we've been there before, okay. per se, in, uh, in 20s. 07 for the SEA Games mm. where it was like me 15 years old versus people who have windsurfed longer than I've lived. So I guess it's a time to build up. But secondly, it's that even though with the mentality and all this, like we've been there before, what matters most is the open doors that come along the way. Mm. Um, for example, there was a very nice timely position where uh, my local coach took turned on full time and they gave us the opportunity to travel overseas into Europe for the whole summer season. So that that was when you're like, oh okay, you can travel again, why not? And getting the opportunity to train and race with people who are better. So you had a full time coach mm. and you were in the second year of poly. Yeah. And so it was a good time to transition yeah. to the men's uh, mm. during a period where it's not uh, intense in terms of you know graduating criteria yeah. and NS looming yeah. next year. So timing was crucial mm. and as well as uh, open doors. Uh. And I think one last thing, it's when you really think about it, it's also because when you have all this opportunity, you also have a team that's going through mm. the whole journey together. Okay. So it's not too bad. A team, meaning uh, like a Singapore team, like a whole okay. team. Okay. And how many were in your team at that time, going through this together? I think there's about I can't remember the exact number, but I think there's about ten of us at least. Okay. Uh, when we were overseas, there's about six to seven, and I think that's really good considering, mm. uh, in the final few years of the campaign, it's usually only two percent, excluding my coach. Right or sometimes it's me alone with my coach or what. So I think that's... that's that makes good. a lot of difference, right? Yeah. Because when you're training overseas, mm. being there just by yourself and a coach, that yeah. can be quite a lonely journey as well. Yeah. Okay. But I think with people around which going through the same path, I think that helps a lot. Mm. So teammates, teammates are the ones. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the key is the teammates. Right. Mm. So, I think if we now switch focus mm. and 
you know, talk a little bit about the Olympic mm. side of it. Um, you know, when you look back now, when you think about your Olympic journey, um, what stands out for you? Um, what comes up all the time for you? Mm. I guess there's three parts to it. The first part is re-entering from army and then restarting the whole journey leading up to Olympics. That was painful. <laughs> that was really painful. I think that was more painful than transiting from youth to men. Yeah, that okay. was like from army not doing anything for two years, mm -hmm. going to train almost full time and then getting your ass whooped by people who are younger than you okay. in China. Okay, so the pain was uh, more psychic <laughs> than physical, or uh, because I, you say that you know younger people are beating you, it's yeah, psychologically painful. Also. I think psychologically painful, and also you see them just pull away. It's like, what am I doing with life? <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, I mean, that's the honest thought when it comes through. Like, what are you doing with life? Like doing all this, yeah. but I guess the beauty of it is that when you have people who are like so far ahead. Mm so much better than you and then you're training with them, that helps you naturally pull yourself up. Mm. And because I guess in a good way, they are willing to share. Not sure is it because I'm not a threat to them at all since I'm the last. So you're not going to make a difference. Uh, but I think naturally, they are also very, very kind-hearted people. So This is the time when you spent uh, six months, was it, in China? Or? Yeah, so it was like continuously one month in one week back, one month in, one week back, the kind of thing for a long duration. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, but it also helped because there's a team of people to train together. So that makes a lot of difference. Okay. Mm. So that's, that's the first part of your Olympic journey. Yeah. The, and you say that it was even more painful than <laughs> going from uh, youth to senior levels. Yeah. Okay. So it was a challenge because of the you know, the, the physical conditioning required to get back to mm. high-level sport. Yeah. So that's part one. Then what's part two? I think part two is really uh, my coach. So I think I mentioned two coaches already. The third one, it's, uh, it's a Thai coach. So his nationality is Thai. He used to coach for the Thai team and then it's very privileged to have him mm. uh, with me on the last phase because that's where he gives a lot more technical advice and he's very sharp on it because that's second nature and he's always just having fun wherever he goes yeah mm -hmm. so i think that helps a lot i always like hey let's go party and stuff like that but yeah that's him i think it makes things more enjoyable mm -hmm. and i guess he's very caring because it brings back to the point where you transit from youth to men and i was in uh denmark alone so I kind of texted him and he was coaching the Thai team back then. Then he was like, hey, just come and stay with us. Um, yeah, I'll cover your transportation and everything. So I was very, very grateful for that. Yeah. Okay. I guess you you talking about the Thai coach and then you had a Norwegian mm. coach as well. Maybe you could think about or share a bit about how the experience of having you know, multinational coaches you know what difference do you think that made for you, um, you know, so you had tc right yeah singaporean coach and then a norwegian and then a thai yeah, yeah. what's the experience like very cool accents 
<laughs> okay, that's true. And I learned a bit of Thai also. <laughs> um, I, I guess it's because each of them are different, different part of the world where they see things differently. Mm. So it shapes the perspective. Mm. Uh, yeah, like for example, how my Norwegian coach at the age of 42 still do what she does. Uh, my Thai coach also, at the age of 40, he still like do all the crazy gym stuff with us and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get six pack and then we, we keep asking him, where's the six pack <laughs> after so long? Okay. Yeah, and then he blamed us on the beer. <laughs> but it's okay. But yeah, I think that's the fun part about having different coaches from different uh, nationality coming in with different perspectives to, to life and shaping the way we are. Okay. okay. So I guess uh, you took from uh, your Norwegian coach uh, a love of competing all the way through to middle age, and uh, I guess your Thai coach was a fun-loving coach. Eh? Yeah. Sounds like you know made a lot of difference to your training that way. Yeah. <laughs> Lots. So that's part two with yeah. the Thai coach. Mm. Okay. Then what's uh, the third part of your Olympic journey? I think the third part is. It's the qualifiers. Okay. Tell us about that. Yeah, because um, the qualifiers was in Abu Dhabi. And there's only two slots for men to qualify for the Olympics. Of which one is kind of confirmed because um, the Thai team are there. They didn't qualify in the main one. So naturally in terms of Asian standing, they are one of the highest excluding China and Japan and Hong Kong. Which and Korea, which all then qualify already. Okay. So they are like, for sure, we'll get it. So then there are like eight countries fighting for one slot. Okay. Yeah. So that was, I think, the most, one of the most memorable. And your biggest rival was the Thai guy? Uh, no, the Thai guy is like, on, they are on their own already. Okay. Then right. for sure, first is for them. Uh, second would be a fight between Singapore. Indonesia, Philippines, Taiwan, who was two or three-time Olympian, uh, Oman, I think India was there, um, and the other, I can't really remember. It's okay. But yeah, I think this is the key part where I think at least five of us or six of us were mm. in close contention to qualifying. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was... But the six-day qualifiers. So how it works is, we race for ten races and then we go for a final race that is a double point system. Back then, so what was your state of mind going into the qualifier? Um, yeah, just 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 do it, and I I I, do, I really don't know the outcome. Yeah, so just just go for it. Um, so I think I remember the first two days was really bad. Uh. Position standing, I, I still kept the result somewhere in my phone uh, because it's a good reminder. I guess the first two days was like fifth in terms of nation standing. So Thailand first, someone, 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 and then me. So it's it's like it's I think it's kind of impossible. It, that kind of thoughts run through your mind. Like, is this possible? Is this like? What am I doing here? <laughs> they kind of thought like, okay, 
But I think deep down in, in, inside, it's like the thought of just don't worry, just focus on the process and just let the result go. Um, don't worry about where you are at, at each race, but just remember at where you are, just see what you can do within your control to catch up a little bit. Mm. Um, so I think that... How anxious were you after the first two days or during the first two days when you were behind? So the surprising thing was, I was anxious. Okay. Yeah, so I, I think that's a very, very strange feeling. Like, it's a bad position to be in, in terms of factual results. But emotionally, it was like, it's okay, just take it one step at a time. Don't worry about the results. That one you can't control about it. But just focus on the process itself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so... Would you say that you are usually this calm? Nowhere. <laughs> no? Nowhere. Okay. I think, uh, I'm not sure, maybe it's... I've been through the same position. Sea Games is like, okay, I'm gonna get first, get it first, get first. Mm. And I think we talked about that the last time around and then it kind of like crashed and you know it doesn't really work that way. Mm. Uh, so I'm not sure whether is it because growth from experience yeah does that peace so you find that uh, mm. you were much calmer as an old, old, older more experienced athlete I don't know <laughs> it just happened at that point in time I was quite calm so that one I really, I really don't know how to, how to answer this yeah so yeah I just go through the process and then slowly climb back up so if I'm not wrong what were the expectations for you at the qualifier? Uh, so nobody really put a position like, oh, you must qualify, don't qualify. Mm -hmm. But you go in there knowing that you want to qualify okay. because, I mean, you take time off to, of course. to do it. So it's like, yes. Yeah. No one competes to end up last, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's the mentality like, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to qualify. So kind of inside me was like, don't worry, you will qualify one. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that come from, but yeah. So it's quite funny, I slowly climbed back up, climbed back up until onto going to last day. Mm -hmm. um, it was me and, in, and the Indonesian guy. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of tie points or really close mm -hmm. that potentially one mistake, uh, it could go to him, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> that morning, uh, the last day. The last day. Okay. Yeah. So that morning, me and my coach were rolling dead at four a.m. Then I just wake up. It's like hey, you're not asleep, right? <laughs> and then he also couldn't sleep. Yeah, because both of us share the same room. So yeah. So that was that was the funny thing where it kind of popped into my mind like how all this thing happens. But when you go into the race course on the final one. It was just very clear, like, start off, cover him, just stay on top of him no matter what. Um, as long as you are ahead of him, you'll win the race. So the objective is very clear in the mind mm. on what to do and how to do it. It's just executing it. But mm. when you look back at it, it's like from impossible to mm. reaching it. I think that's something that really pops up. 
You know, the other thing that strikes me for sailors mm. is that your competitions last six days, five days, very long you know, periods of time. Mm. Um, so you can imagine, or oh, some of us can imagine, anxiety levels can go up, down, up, down. You, know. mm. you alternate between stress and sheer boredom, right? Because sometimes you have to wait for the wind. Mm. <laughs> you know, what was going through your mind during those you know, five, six days. How do you maintain an even temperament or, you know, without getting too excited or too bored? Um, I'll, I'll be honest, it's not easy. But I guess it's having young ex having exposure at a young age does help. And I'll explain why, why I say this. Because uh, I remember in twin. T07 in SEA Games Thailand, there was this conversation about um, maintaining a steady state throughout the six-day competition. Uh, so this idea was first brought about by back then the high performance manager, uh, I think Mark Robinson. He mentioned about just maintaining the same level. It's not getting overly excited because that might lose your focus or overly down into just dragging yourself into a hole. So it's about having that steady position that each day, each race is something new. Just got to maintain that same mood. So I think what hits me back then was that I think they were discussing about some of the younger sailors' performance for one of the training races. So it's not SEA Games, it's one of the training races. Uh, and they were like wondering, hey, how come this person isn't performing so well? So I, I didn't really remember the details, but I remember this one of the senior sailors was saying like, I think they were a bit too high and then low and high and too low, and that affects their performance. So I guess when you have all this exposure at a young age, it slowly brings into you when you go and race, you kind of think about that. But the honest truth is, when you go out in life, there's always highs and lows where you'll forget about all these things you learn in sailing. Um, but yeah, I guess it's it's a good memory. If you ask me next time around, hey Leonard, what do you remember of this time? I guess this is the highs and lows and maintaining a steady pace. Okay, so you, let's take us back to that last day, that last race. Mm. Um, coming down to that last race, what was going through your mind? And how did you cope? Because the last race would mean whether or not you would qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. I guess the last day was a bit clearer in terms of what, you, what I need to do is to just go that one inch harder than the person who I need to fight with and just making sure that I'm covering at all time while staying, staying calm and doing what I need to do. Uh, so that's one. I think second thing it helps a lot is uh, my coach. So I can remember it's very clear his, his instruction was like, okay, based on the previous race, it looks like the left side is better. However, if the guy goes right, um, go a bit more left but stick with him at all time because it is it's a risk 
but not a gamble. So a gamble would be, let's say left is better, you just go left and ignore the person. And if something happens, the guys win. But if you go a bit, but you stick with him, anything happens, you just need to work a little bit harder, but you're still within control of the whole competition. So tell me, how did that race pan out? Um, so I think off the line at the start, it was very clear. It's like, just stick on top of him. Uh, everyone's fighting for the best position. You don't have to. Just stick on top of him, go off, stay on top, and then at the right moment, with a calculated risk, go to the left. Then go back on again to cover him. So I remember on the second leg, uh, clearly the left was way better. Uh, but the decision was just to cover him. I think he got really frustrated. He was like, the mark is there. Why are you going here? I was like, dude, that's my job, man. It's just to cover you because uh, at the back of the head, I think when you're calm and somehow things, everything align nicely, you know where each person are, where are the rest of the fleet that who potentially is your next threat. And also, I think what helps also the condition was in my favor. It was a condition that I'm generally okay with and had some good results in this kind of conditions. So I guess all these things align nicely and it helps. So when you finish, it's like, oh, it's, it's so surreal. But yeah. So it went according to plan, according to your strategy. Yeah. I guess the stars all aligned nicely on that day itself. Do you still recall your first feeling or first thoughts when you knew that you qualified? What was mm. the feeling like? It's just really grateful for the people who supported. Yeah, because without those open doors that they have, without the support from coaches, friends, and family, I think that's impossible. And what did you do to celebrate? Actually, not really. I can't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you tell first? Uh, my parents. Did you qualify? Yeah. Because the people who are there, like my coach uh, and my teammate, they know it already. So, yeah, parents. What happened during that conversation? What did they say? It's like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they were really happy because I guess it's where they have been always been supportive mm. and knowing that, I think to any parents seeing their own kid reaching and achieving what they wanted, I think that's, that makes them really happy. Mm. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's not about them themselves, it's just seeing the kids reaching their own goals. I guess that's, that brings a smile to their face. Mm. Did your dad or mom say anything to you that you still remember from that time? Not really. They are, they are parents of, I guess, few words in a sense, but always big on actions. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
so now that you're on your way to the Olympics, I guess, uh, you know, take us through the Olympics. What were the highlights looking back? What, what struck you about the whole Olympic experience? I guess it's a mix of different things. One is the, after qualifying, the journey leading up. Um, I think what was really nice is being able to train with different people and going through the final push. Um, in the Olympics itself, in, before you got to the Olympics, mm. were there, was there anything that happened that was unexpected that you had to deal with? Uh, so I'm very grateful. Things were smooth uh, for mine. Um, yeah, we managed to qualify uh, thereafter three in Singapore, going to Europe for the European circuit to prep up for the final phase, and thereafter come back to Singapore then go to Rio. I guess the second good news halfway through was uh, my teammate managed to qualify and I think it's through a wall card or something like that. So it's nice to have a full team there. So that was really... So thankfully it was a uneventful lead up and preparation for Rio. Yeah. So now we're in Rio, you know, bring us through uh, your time in Rio. What, what did you uh, had to cope with uh, that was new or unexpected or interesting or fascinating? Yeah. Okay, I think the challenging for real portion was... Um, okay, so us wins are first, we are quite... Uh, we don't really care about things. It's quite bad. It's really quite bad. Um, but I love it also because, I mean, we're living in Rio in the houses. To us, it's like back into Thailand again. It's where people say, oh, people get robbed and things like that. To us, it's like, yeah, I think you get that in China, you get that in Thailand. It's totally okay. Um, I guess when, when rules start to come in, when we go into uh, Rio itself and they say like, oh, a lot of things you can't do. When we move into the village, that's when we were like, huh? What could you not do? What were the rules? I think it was, it was quite, quite clear that all we can do is just the accommodation, uh, to the training venues and yeah that's it so but it's okay because we're there earlier before that so we we tour around and all this and we understand where they're coming from because it's you want to minimize any risk happens there so i guess that that's the switch where when you're like oh from the freedom to okay make sure you're just prim and proper that part could take a toll on others but i think it helps us also because to us it's like okay, we see where it comes from, the logic behind it, and I think it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, so let's go out there and enjoy it. Yeah, so it's quite cool, like, the whole village, there's the international food hall is 24-7, so you can eat as much as you like. Uh, there's unlimited McDonald's, so yes, we order McDonald's, and clearly, <laughs> uh, this, this is the saying, uh, for us, winter first, we always burn so much calories, you can just eat whatever you like. Yeah, so food isn't an issue. Uh, yeah, unlimited McDonald's, free Samsung phone. So that was really cool. I guess what I wish we could do more was really to uh, go to the other sports venue and really watch their competition. I think that would be really nice. 
yeah even though if it means like staying there for one or two more days i think that would something i really wish looking back but it's okay now we can watch it on television <laughs> yeah so mm. so the other thing that was a concern about for rio was the water quality mm. how, how did it affect you Actually, it's okay. It's quite clean. Eh? <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, it wasn't really a big issue for us. I think as long as you know, you, you just don't drink the water. Uh, it was it was still quite okay. Yeah, that wasn't to us. That wasn't really a big big thing that going on. Though we have to take precautions, like they give us uh, certain kind of soap so that we can wash off and things like that. But I, I think we've been worse. Sorry? I think we've been worse. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> or, or when we look at the water, I think Singapore looks worse. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Um, so take us through the, the races. What was it like for you? Uh, okay, so I think Rio is one of the hardest places to race because uh, firstly, you can have any conditions that you could possibly think of from no wind to the str strong wind to flat water to big waves depending on the location of where you're racing at um, I think the mentality was a bit different this time around mm -hmm. uh, the mentality is that because each country can only send one person and that one person is probably the best of their own country so even though the participant, the number of participants is small, but people, they are of very high level. Where I think one big mistake makes a big difference. So I guess the mentality switch from, hey, wanting a certain positions or hoping to, to hit a certain ranking that usually people go to Olympics would have that target. It's the mentality of just going there and join the, the games. Uh, picking up as much as you can mm. and watching how these top sailors race which is really nice because I think their stress level is super high because they are there to win a medal but yet they are able to at some phase sometimes you see them just beside you and then next minute they are right in front I think the ability to keep calm and compose and focusing on the process itself you're like wow how they do it and they recover so fast from each mistake I think that's something amazing when you see them do it knowing that you were at the Olympics mm. did you get butterflies did you get a bit of stage fright and if you did you know, how did you cope with the expectations of being an Olympian don't have it <laughs> just go there I mean yeah that's the mentality it's just go and qualify go out there and just go and learn it so i guess when there's no pressures there's no really reasons for butterflies okay. so i think that helps certainly yeah. yes so when you look back at the olympic experience what strikes you about an olympics that you never get or never got from the other major games or major championships i think the biggest thing that strikes me the first thing that pops up into my head is that I guess those who win a medal, mm. they are really happy. But there are so many close shaves which they fall off the 
top three position. And the thought of like, wow, these people when it's only once in every four years. Mm. And we all know there's the next chance it's another cycle, which potentially you couldn't be the one representing the country because someone winning you in the trials. So that ability to cope at an immense amount of stress for the next four years. Really, uh, it's a whole new respect for for these people because a lot of times it's like, yeah, the top three, they win a medal, but people don't see the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, who could potentially be the first, but they fall back. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that kind, kind of really strike me. Mm. So the margins between first and fourth can be very, very small. Yeah, even fifth, knowing that fifth. They could, but they didn't. Mm. So I guess the form rest, the respect on, for them, it's grown because you see them coming back mm. and going on to race after being so close, mm. but not getting it. Mm. And I think I know one, one of the girls, that happened to her, I think twice or thrice, or three of them, two Olympics. Yeah. So, I mean, af- no. so after you finished uh, the Olympics, hmm. what was the dominant feeling for you? What, what did you feel having done that? That's oh, like twelve years of journey. Hmm. But I guess it's looking back, it's grateful for the opportunities because it shapes mm. the way I am. And then secondly, it's also a whole new perspective where I think mm. there's so many more things in life mm. than just sports alone. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time we think about, hey, I think sports like sports are the key thing. Mm-hmm. And then why don't you continue on to for the next Olympics mm-hmm. and things like that. Was that a consideration? Um, there was, there was. Okay. Um, but I guess it was quite clear in the sense that I think it's about time to sh- switch gear. Mm-hmm. And... How old were you then? That was 23, 24. Okay. Yeah, that was the time to switch gear, to go back to study. Picking up skills and experiencing life in a different way. What weighed on your decision to to continue or to stay? What were the considerations? So you're saying uh, time to look at studies again and look at working yeah. life, is it? Mm. Uh, that was a major consideration. Were there other considerations as well? Um, so yeah, so one is either to after you finish Olympics, mm. having uh, 12 years of windsurfing experience, mm. is there something more that you want to reach for in, in terms of sports? Mm. So that's one consideration. And, and what was the answer to that? Um, I think for me personally, it's to hit to the Olympic and that was my goal. Mm. Um, I think meddling at the Olympics takes a whole new level because firstly, in terms of physique, in terms of uh, people you train with, mm. and I think you, you kind of know whether you can or ca- okay. cannot. Mm. 
Okay. And it's really hard to convince yourself like, oh yes, I can win a medal. I think it's good to dream big. It's good to dream big. Yeah. Uh, but at that point in life, I think that wasn't really quite realistic. Okay. So you made an assessment of yourself and said, yeah, that's not realistic. Mm. Okay. Were there voices saying, you know, go for another Olympics? You know, really. I think it kind of, you kind of know it. So sometimes it's that within you, you kind of like seal the fate where you decide to just close the door. Mm. Yeah. So when you're closing mm. that door, you know, drawing to a close 12 years as mm. a sailor, what were some of your thoughts as you bring that part of life to an end? Mm. Thankfully, it wasn't an end then. Okay. Yeah, so after that, it was a different transition over to, I think, just going down to to the uni level, mm. just spreading the love for the sport okay. and coaching. Um, so, yeah, very thankful that while I was doing that, we have really good people around me, which managed to, after coaching for two years, um, able to pass the baton on to others who are uh, willing to take on, which also shows me the ability that, yeah, I think sometimes it's always nice to let people experience okay. the fun that you have, the ability to empower them to do things that you think was impossible okay. and allowing them to contribute back. Mm -hmm. So I think that whole loops really really open a whole new perspective. Okay. So mm. you spend time as a coach within the university system, is that? Yeah, within, okay. yeah, within the university okay. and building up the team okay. uh, with the help of really good people around me. So you found that to be a very meaningful experience, mm. taking your love of the sport, but now channeling it through uh, your role as a coach. Yeah. And I think the most fulfilling part is to see people who started learning in university mm -hmm. and actually becoming coaches who teach people and that whole ecosystem or the whole cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's quite, quite fulfilling to see them like being able to do that and how each different people contributes their own way. So I guess for this just last part, Mm. Uh, of the conversation um, if you look back over the what 16 years mm. of sailing um, you know in terms of how you cope mm. uh, your coping strategies what what stands out for you in terms of what were your coping resources what were the one two or three things that helped you manage like you know like you said there's always ups and downs. Mm. Your transition from youth to senior was one tough one. Then you said the transition from NS back to high performance training was even worse than the youth to senior. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of your coping strategies, what do you think helped you a lot? I think the first part is enjoying the sport itself mm. as it is that really helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that was something that was built in green uh, because of the coaches and the people around me. 
So I guess that helps. Second thing is always... So like, it's something that you wanted to do. You and you were enjoying it. You, mm. Leonard, was like, I'm having fun. I'm, I'll keep going. Yeah. So, yeah. Loving what I'm doing. Um, which is being influenced also by the people around me. Mm. It helps a lot. Okay. And enjoying what, what, what I do. Okay. So the, the, the coaches, like you mentioned, were mm. positive influences on you. Yeah. In helping you appreciate the mm. sport. I think the second coping mechanism is also having the mix of both school mm. and sports okay. because it helps to switch in between mm. when things get a little bit too mundane. Mm. So I think once you study too much, you get bored about it, you are, you're kind of absorbed in. Similarly in sports, when you just train, 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 train and you don't see results or you don't find the joy of it. There's always the other way around where exam comes in and you can't, can't train, you can't enjoy it. And then when you come back, like, oh, actually, this is nice. It's more relaxing. Yeah. Mm. So uh, the irony is, yeah, you actually need both. Mm. Right? Because sometimes people may have the misconception that I just want to train full time and not do anything else. But you're saying having both mm. helped you to balance life out for you. Yeah, mm. and I think that helps a lot because that gives us the social support also mm. uh, in terms of school where people, your friends know you're doing it mm. and it's always nice to be able to come back and then they're still quite open and welcoming. Mm. Yeah. On this point, mm. would you do anything differently in terms of balancing sports and studies looking back now? You. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll stick with that. What happened? Because, yeah, it was a good balance mm -hmm. to be away from school a while mm -hmm. and then coming back to be very focused when you need to. Okay. Mm. Okay. okay. So you, you've uh, outlined two areas, right, of coping. One is your own enjoyment of the sport, influenced mm -hmm. by your coach. Second one is, you know, having both sports and mm. studies at the same time that allowed you to have balance and mm. allow you to uh, enjoy each at the appropriate time. Mm. Um, what else? Would there be anything else that helped you cope? I guess there's family support, lastly. Yeah. yeah, I think it's knowing that you can do what you want and not having to worry back home. That's a big difference. Whereas if, I think for someone who knows that their parents aren't supportive mm. of what they do, it makes, it, it, it brings a big toll mentally because it's like a small seed of thing growing to your mind and mm. keep thinking about it. Mm. But having that one thing off, it helps a lot. Okay. Mm. So that made a big difference for you. All right. Yeah. So, thanks for taking the time. Is there anything else that I may no. have not asked you about? I know I have asked you many, many questions. Yeah. <laughs> so, if, what, if you think about the two sessions we've had, you know, uh, two conversations, you know, what, what stands out for you? I guess for this time around, it's all about maintaining that 
that level position, even things get up and down. Mm-hmm. But yet, I know we all have feelings, so it is normal. We're not we're not robots, but just maintaining that straight line pace, that things can be all right. So that's one good reminder. Uh, I think a few things that really stand out it's having a mix of both study and and sports or having things to flip around in life mm. helps a lot and being grateful for the people around us. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. struck by your uh, comment because you keep talking about being grateful and I'm struck mm. by your sense of uh, community, I guess. You know, mm. you're always thinking about the people who have helped you, you know, your coaches, your, your parents. Um, and so even though you're in a very individual sport, mm. There's nothing more individual than being out there on the sea alone by yourself. Uh, but, you know, you have a community. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I say it takes a town to build someone out. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. Thanks, Leonard. Thanks a lot, Leslie. Thanks, appre- really appreciate the time. You know. And thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. Mm.